This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we are going to be discussing the Overton window. The Overton window. Okay, so I don't know where you might have heard this term, but I know if you listen to any political podcast or maybe any podcast where they're talking about macro issues, you might have run into the Overton window before. But for the majority of you, I'm assuming, you've never heard of this. So we're going to get into it today. And I promise you, it's not nearly as dull as this intro has been so far. I promise this is something that we can use, especially as followers of Christ. But the definition, I guess the basic definition of the Overton window is this. It's the range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time. So one more time, the Overton window is the range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time. So to kind of give you a little bit of the history behind this, this was a concept that was developed by a guy named Joseph P. Overton, and this was in kind of the mid-1990s. So he was the senior VP of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, so just kind of a, a public policy think tank area. He died in 2003, but his work was kind of carried on after that by a guy named Joseph Joseph Lehman, uh, and Joseph Lehman actually coined the term Overton window and named it after his late buddy, Joseph Overton. So um, the interesting thing about that is there's a whole lot of different perspectives on this, but I just wanted to go right to the horse's mouth here. So Mackinac.org, which I'll give you that link later, but Mackinac.org, this is kind of a little bit more detail uh, that goes beyond the definition of what the Overton window is. So I'm going to read these a couple of paragraphs real quick. The Overton window is a model for understanding how ideas and societies change over time and influence politics. The core concept is that politicians are limited in what policy ideas they can support. They generally only pursue policies that are widely accepted throughout society as legitimate policy options. These policies lie inside the Overton window. Other policy ideas exist, but politicians risk losing popular support if they champion these ideas. These policies lie outside of the Overton window. But the Overton window can both shift and expand, either increasingly or shrinkingly, the number of ideas politicians can support without unduly risking their electoral support. Sometimes politicians can move the Overton window themselves by courageously endorsing a policy lying outside the window, but this is rare. More often, the window moves based on much more complex and dynamic phenomenon, one that is not easily controlled from on high the slow evolution of societal values and norms. So I'm going to help you guys here. I'm going to, for some of you, you're a little bit more visual and, you know, unfortunately this isn't a video podcast. You're just going to have to listen to me and I'll do my best with it. But when you're thinking about this, don't think of this as an X axis thing. Okay. Don't think of this as a left right thing that just causes too much confusion, especially since this kind of lives in the uh, political sphere. Think of it as a vertical spectrum. Think of it as a Y axis, right? So going up and down. Now, if you're visualizing this at the very top of the spectrum, you'll have what's called more free. Okay. At the bottom of the spectrum, again, up and down, you see less free. Okay. So more free at the top, less free at the bottom. Now there was another political commentator, uh, Joshua Trevino. Uh, he described kind of the different degrees of acceptance of public ideas. Okay. So let's assume that we're starting at the very top of the spectrum. Okay. The more free spectrum. And then we're just going to work our way down here. Okay. So unthinkable, radical, acceptable, sensible, popular, policy, popular, sensible, acceptable, acceptable, radical, unthinkable. Okay. So if we're working from top to bottom or from bottom to top, right there in the middle is where you get the stuff that is sensible, popular, and policy. 
Those are the things that you kind of see. And so that's essentially what this is, right? The Overton window kind of gives us an idea as to what the things are that it really expands out a little bit more, but it's acceptable, sensible, popular, and then things become policy. So hopefully that makes sense. But if you think about even some of your favorite political people, once they are in office, not whenever they're they're trying to get elected because they can say just about anything, but when they're trying to get in office, they're trying to keep the th- when they're trying to keep their job, when they're already in the job, when they're trying to keep your support, they tend to keep things in that area of acceptable, sensible, popular, and policy. They don't really want to do things that are either unthinkable or radical, right? They they don't really want to do that. <clears throat> but the, again, remember the window can move up and down that continuum, right? And it, it kind of goes based on societal uh, societal norms, but it can also expand. It can also get bigger, okay? So there's some modern application for us kind of in 2020, especially when we're in an election year, when we're kind of thinking about this. But there was a quote that I thought was very uh, appropriate from Joseph Lehman. That's the guy who, again, kept this work going of Overton after he passed away. But there was this couple of sentences here. He said this, the most common misconception is that lawmakers themselves are in the business of shifting the Overton window. This is absolutely false. Lawmakers are actually in the business of detecting where the window is and then moving to be in accordance with it. This is where I think layman, and I don't know when this quote was from, so I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt that he did not say this quote within the last two or three years. But if you're just paying attention even a little bit to modern politics, but especially on the Democratic side, this is not the case whatsoever. They are not simply simply trying to detect where the window is and then moving in accordance with it. They're, they're not doing that, right? I mean, the Democrats that are running for president could absolutely care less about the Overton window. Because they're not making policy right now. Even though there are people that currently have jobs in our government that are running for president, they're not really making policy right now. They're just trying to. But can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine if they were? But let's just kind of give you a rundown of the things that popular 2020 Democratic candidates have said that they've endorsed, that they've openly supported in the run-up to the 2020 election. So I just made a list of the things that I could remember. So there's certainly more than this. So socialism, abortion on demand, abortion up to the moment of birth, abortion after birth, we call that infanticide, open borders, the abolition of the immigration and customs enforcement, so that's ICE, gun confiscation, abolishing the Second Amendment, impeachment of Donald Trump, even without cause, student loan forgiveness across the board, Medicare for all, 75% plus wealth tax, universal basic income, slavery reparations, abolishing the electoral college, allowing prisoners the right to vote, breaking up big tech companies and banks. And and guys, I could keep going, but I don't want you to vomit. Like I feel like vomiting right now, just having to read that list of things. But here's the thing is the Democrats, this has been a sham so far. And it's been a loser for them politically, and it's been a winner for Donald Trump politically, believe it or not. And we've seen this before. We saw this Bill Clinton. He was made to be, even though he actually perjured himself, he actually did commit something that should have been a high crime or misdemeanor that should have had him leaving office. The Democrats have gone way out over their skis on this entire impeachment process. As of right now, the impeachment process and or the, the trial rather is happening in the Senate, right? As I'm recording this, and as you're probably listening to this, he is currently going through the whole rigmarole of defending himself in the Senate. Okay. And the thing about it is, is the Democrats that have gone out over their skis in order to do this. I mean, it's like they believe the blue checkmark people on Twitter, like that was real life. Like that was, you know, example or descriptive of the electorate. Well, here's the thing about half the country did not want Donald Trump to be elected. So of course they would be in, in favor of this, but guys, we're in an election year. They could just wait. You can vote the guy, literally vote the guy out of office, but you know, they're not really doing that. But the one thing I will say, because I'm kind of hitting on the Democrats here and they deserve it, Democrats are actually way better 
at moving the Overton window than Republicans are. Even though they don't necessarily care about it right now, they're actually really good at using the Overton window to their advantage. Again, the Overton window is that small window of things that are politically palatable for people to try and take on. So Republicans typically, or conservatives or, you know, right, right-wing people, you can call them whatever you want. There's either seen as, you know, polite prudes or loudmouth rednecks, or just, just people that can rarely get their point across in a poignant and cogent manner, right? That That's what you kind of get, especially that's what people say, you know, at Democrat rallies or on Twitter or whatever the situation may be. But Democrats have actually figured out how to shift and expand the Overton window. And it's actually incredible to watch. They're experts at it. So the ideas that used to be kind of outside the realm of acceptable norms are now kind of old hat, right? So think about where we are in 2020 and just, just think about where we were in the years to year 2000. So let's just stick with this millennia, right? Gay marriage, the gender transition of children, or just, I guess, gender, gender transition in general, socialism and communism. I mean, especially with millennials and Gen Z, I mean, those are seen as acceptable forms of governing, right? And I mean... Just think about in the year 2000, remember, remember Y2K, remember what you were doing. I was in ninth grade at the time. None of those things would even be fathomable to even discuss publicly, right? That those are so outside of the realm of possibility. And now they are old hat, right? It, those are just things that we're supposed to accept now. But the thing is, is, and again, Democrats have done a tremendous job, or maybe we could say more specifically, leftists have done a very fantastic job of doing this is how do you make things seem acceptable? So if you have a crazy idea, like a Looney Tunes idea, like a three-year-old can you know decide their gender, right? How do you make those ideas seem acceptable? Well, what you do is you say insanely wild things that are super far out there. I mean, not, not even to the left. We're talking about way to the left, right? Say those things. And then the stuff that used to seem like they were super far to the left are now all of a sudden acceptable and sensible. Again, you're going to start talking about these things that are way, way, way out there. And then the things that are actually far left, they don't seem as far left anymore. And you could, to be reasonable, you could do this on the right as well. Take stuff that is so far out to the right, but we'll, we'll get more into how that doesn't exactly work the same. So far out to the right, if it's a little bit to the right now, it seems sensible, right? Layman thinks that this is not possible, but we've watched it happen. We've absolutely watched it happen right before our eyes. And I don't know if that's because of Trump derangement syndrome. I don't know if that's literally because Trump has broken the brains of so many people that used to be smart and used to actually be a good person to politically and intellectually spar with. But something has happened. Something has changed to where this Overton window can be shifted and expanded to a fairly extreme degree. But I kind of want to give you guys a thought experiment before I get into the the overall point of why I'm even talking about the Overton window today. I'm going to give you a thought experiment. Okay. So, cause, cause it's 2020 now, I just had you guys go back in your minds to the year 2000 and think about the things that have changed societally and think about where we're headed. I want you to think about which ideas or philosophies will be acceptable by societal standards in 20 years in the, in the year 2040, the things that are considered insane right now, this exact moment, can we really say that in 20 years that they won't be considered insane? Can we really make a cogent argument that would say, yeah, you know, that's probably not going to happen. Could we honestly do that? 
Because I'll tell you that I've done that. And, and I would actually encourage you to pause this podcast, whatever you're doing, if you're running, walking the dog, uh, you know, working out, you know, driving in the car, whatever, just pause this and think about that. Just think about that for a minute or two. And just think of some of the things that you thought of, because I did this for about five minutes and I scared myself. I was like, okay, this is what life was like in 2000. Now it's 2020. This is what life is like now. What could life look like in 2040? And so I'm not saying I'm predicting that these things are going to happen, but these are some of the things that I thought of. Okay. Pedophilia in the year 2040 could be considered acceptable <clears throat> or at least something that should be part of, you know, the, the conversation, right? And, and if you think I'm crazy for that first one, go back to episode 87 of this podcast. It's called normalizing pedophilia. If you missed that one, go back and get it. What about multiple spouses? You know, uh, the Mormons were weirdos back in the day. That's why they had to go to, to Mexico or to Utah or where the situation may be. But you know, why can't we have multiple spouses? What about relationships with animals? Oh, Kyle, this is crazy. This is nonsense. This is, you know, the, the stupid argument. I'm just saying, you know, if love is love and, and I love my llama or I love my pig, I mean, why, why are you trying to tell me what love is and what love isn't? How about just open socialism in the United States? Not democratic socialism, not AOC, Bernie Sanders socialism. Oh, it's democratic socialism. Like that's a thing. Like that's an actual category. But what about open socialism? Is that a possibility in the next 20 years? What about words being seen and treated as actual violence? So you dead name somebody, right? You know, you call someone by the name they used to call themselves before they transitioned genders, which biologically didn't happen. But before they transitioned genders, you dead name somebody and then you go to jail. I mean, there are laws like that out there. Will that happen in the United States? What about Sharia law in the United States? Will there be pockets of the U.S. that use Sharia law as the law that they govern by? Is that possible? What about forced abortions and sterilizations? Not just the overwhelming abundance of abortions where, you know, basically Planned Parenthood can kill a thousand people per day, but what about forced abortions and sterilizations? And before you say, Kyle, that's crazy, uh, you need to watch One Child Nation on Amazon. It's a documentary about the one child policy in China, Okay. So forced abortions and sterilization is not some sort of crazy thing. What about assisted suicide across the country? There are already countries that do that. Dying with dignity is what they call it, right? But assisted suicide across the country, basically available. Will it be like internet cafes? Hey, you can go over there on third street and you can kill yourself. No big deal. Will we have an electoral college in 20 years? I'm actually somewhat mortified to see what would happen because this will eventually happen when a Democrat is in the White House and they have the Senate and they have the the house I'm, I'm i'm actually terrified about that and what if they can skew the supreme court supreme court should have never been this important but it is are we going to have an electoral college is that just going to wipe out the opinions of everybody that lives in between new york and california is that possible what about slavery reparations just about every single democratic candidate has said they support slavery reparations they haven't said how they're going to do that for, you know, the, the descendants of black people that own slaves. They haven't, they haven't said that. Uh, they also haven't said, well, what about people that have mixed races that maybe they have black and white and Indian and whatever else in, in their kind of gene pool. They haven't really figured that part out yet, but will they figure it out in the next 20 years? How about the legalization of all drugs? You know, the thing that Joe Rogan and everyone that comes on the show thinks will solve the drug problem in the United States, will solve the cartel problem in the world, right? How about we just legalize all drugs? Like not just marijuana, that's easy, right? That's definitely going to be federally legalized within the next 20 years. What about everything else? How about no prison system? Is that possible? 
And if you're thinking that's crazy, yes, there are people that think that we should just get rid of the prison system altogether. That we can just love and flowers and puppies people, you know, into submission, right? They don't actually want to hurt us. People are just generally good, right? They don't generally want to hurt us. And, and guys, believe me, I can go on and on and on. But what, what did you think of? I mean, I didn't make a, a, a list that is the only list out there, but I'm sure you thought of some stuff. I mean, that's where this is going. The Overton window in the last 20 years has shifted considerably the things that were acceptable then versus the things that are acceptable now. But there is a reality here that I want you guys to really think through, right? Again, because this is kind of a highfalutin topic or whatever. I'm trying to bring it down so that we can all, you know, interact with it. But non-believers, you know, people that don't believe in Jesus, that, that they don't believe in the truths of the gospel, they live on this spectrum because they have to. Because whichever the way the wind is blowing, that's the way that they're going, right? If you don't have any core belief, but believers have an anchor point. So those of you listening to this podcast that do believe that Jesus is the risen Christ, right? And you worship him as such. We have him as the anchor point. We have the Bible as an anchor point. We don't have to expand our horizons of acceptable discourse or evolve our thinking on controversial topics. We don't have to, right? We have the truth. We have the proper application, right? We have those things. We just have to keep bringing people back to the truth. That is what our job is as Christians. So guys, this is one of the reasons why conservatism, right? In a macro sense, and I want to be very careful with how I'm describing this, okay? This is why one of the big reasons of conservatism in a macro sense is much more aligned with Christianity than progressivism. There are some people that get, have this idea that, you know, uh, Jesus would support Bernie Sanders. Like he would just be this, you know, ridiculous socialist or something like that. And it just doesn't really jive with what we see in the gospels. It just doesn't really jive whatsoever. Right. And the thing about it is, is conservatism, while it has its issues and it has its things that I disagree with, it is more aligned with Christianity. Because when you're trying to conserve something, you're trying to keep it to a core set of principles or beliefs or philosophies or theologies. You're trying to keep it there. Whereas progressivism is progressing towards something that is not even defined. Because progressivism is, in its most basic sense, trying to take us to utopia. The problem is, is people can't exactly define what utopia is. And the reason is, is because utopia to you is different than what utopia would be to me or to my neighbor or to the guy that lives in Iran or to the guy that lives in Australia or to, it's different for everybody. Whereas with Christianity, we have this core set of principles. We have this core set of beliefs and we're trying to conserve people to that. So what a true red blood conservative would be is somebody that is trying to stick to the original principles of the United States. For those of you who don't live in this country, I'm sorry, I'm boring you a little bit with this U.S. talk. But the thing about it is, is there are some core principles, which if you believe, you know, the book that Ben Shapiro wrote is true. It is set up on this set of Judeo-Christian ethics that we wouldn't otherwise have. Okay. That's why I think it's, it's interesting to listen to progressives that are also trying to trumpet the, the cause of Jesus. So think about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's running and might even win Iowa. He might even win the Iowa caucuses that are here coming up just because he's kind of got that Obama chill to him in whatever situation may be, even though, you know, he's just a, a small town mayor. <clears throat> he could end up being the Democratic nominee for president. This is an openly gay person who is married to a man who also claims to be a Christian. Oh, a Christian that also thinks abortion is okay, Right. So that's where you get that pull between conservatism and progressivism. But here are the 
considerations that I have for you. For the undaunted, undaunted lifers that are listening to this, for the Christians listening to this, here are the considerations. Is that we have to be courageous about the things that God cares about. We have to. It is our mandate. But here's the thing is, frankly, guys, most Christians, especially Christian men, they're just pussies when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, we, we don't want to ruffle any feathers and, you know, we just, we just don't want to call a spade a spade right now. And, you know, I'm just not at the place in my business where I could afford to make people angry. And I just, I don't really know. I, I mean, can anyone really know, you know, you've heard stuff like that. Maybe you've heard yourself say stuff like that, but let me ask you some questions that, that are likely to, to piss some of you off, but, but it is what it is. You've probably been made angry at some point in this podcast already. Have you been to a gay wedding before? Did you go to a ceremony that was basically celebrating that act? Celebrating sodomy? Have you, have you gone to one? Did you convince yourself that you were somehow loving those people by going and supporting them at their gay marriage? How about this one? Do you support the woman's right to choose in certain scenarios? Oh, you know, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life to the, to the grave. But you know what? If, if somebody was raped, I just, we could probably kill that baby. We could probably give the death penalty to the kid for the sins of the father. That that's, that's acceptable. Oh, I just haven't really thought through that one entirely. Heard yourself say that a little bit. How about this? Do you think it's acceptable for women to fight on the front lines in our military? Ooh, that one's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. The thing about it is, is I'm not talking about women that are in the military in support structures and staff. I'm talking about the women that are fighting on the front lines that might actually bleed and die like on the front lines of war. You think that's acceptable? How about this? Have you taken your kid to a drag queen story hour at your local library? Did you take them there? They, they saw that and learned about it later. And then did you just kind of keep to yourself and keep quiet? Do you know how I know the Overton window is real and how it shifts insanely? It's because these things would have been completely unacceptable to our grandfathers. All of the things I just described, right? In those random scenarios that I threw out there, our grandfathers, our Christian grandfathers and forefathers would have absolutely flipped out and rightfully so. But if any of you have had to kind of war with those questions before or think about how you would respond in one of those types of settings, it's because these opinions are the product of the church living downstream of culture and you, frankly, living downstream of culture. You're letting culture dictate what it is that you're going to do and what you're going to believe and how you're going to go about it. Okay? And that's an unacceptable way of doing things if you claim to be a Christian male. Okay? So I'm not just going to be descriptive here. I'm going to be prescriptive for you. Okay. I've got a bunch of things that I'm going to go over here in terms of, okay, great. I understand what the Overton window is. I understand the things that are outside of it and inside of it. This is what we do. Okay. The first thing guys is read your Bible. Oh yeah, of course, you know, Christian podcast where I need to read my Bible. No, I'm serious. Read your Bible because here's the thing guys is you cannot defend the standard if you don't know it. Right. Think about a lawyer trying to argue using a legal argument when he has not read the law in question. That would be silly, right? We would not expect that person to have a good day in court. But some of you try to go out there and do battle on, you know, for the sake of Christ, but you have no idea what you're defending. 
You're defending what your pastor said or the latest bumper sticker quote from Stephen Furtick or Craig Rochelle or one of those types of guys. You just, you have nothing. You have no idea as to what you're even saying. You're just saying things that look cool on a t-shirt. How about another thing here is figure out why you're so afraid. Figure out why you are so absolutely petrified and mortified at the thought of challenging something that is societally acceptable. Think about where that fear possibly comes from. Cause I can tell you one thing that fear does not come from the Lord. That is probably manufactured fear from the enemy, from the dark sides of this equation, right? Cause you are just so afraid of what people might say. You're so afraid of the comments that might be left on your Facebook. You're so afraid of when the phone rings and it's that person, you know, is angry about the opinion that you just expressed in public, right? Figure out why you're so afraid. I think that'd be important for you to dig into. The third thing here is stand up and speak out. I mean, this is pretty duh. This is pretty basic at this point. Actually stand up and speak out. You have so many opportunities to stand up for what you know to be true, to what you know to be right, to what you know to be moral. And you don't, you don't. And it's because you're trying to be polite. And that's the fourth thing, which is don't be default polite. The the thing is that I don't understand whenever I ask people that are just like, ah, just be polite, just be nice, just whatever, is where in the world or or where in the Bible do you get the mandate from Jesus that we should all just be super polite? Like, where do you get that from? There's a a story that I want you guys to read in Luke 4. Read Luke 4, verse 16 through 30. I'm not going to read it for you. You read it. Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. Because the thing is, is when you get to verse 30, you might miss the magnitude of what's going on here. But essentially the things that Jesus said to a group of people made them so angry that they ran Jesus out of town into the edge of a cliff. And you know what they did once they got there? Jesus turns around, looks at him and just walks his way right through the middle of the crowd. You're not going to do anything to me doesn't say that he says that in the scripture, but he just walked away with his life that day. I can't imagine the things that he said that got them so angry were super polite. I can't imagine that that's what he did. The fifth thing here is be the parent. I'm talking to the parents out here, okay? Teach this to your kids. Teach them about the Overton window. Teach them about the things that are currently inside of that window in in the culture and teach them about the things that should be inside of the acceptable nature of things. Don't let the public school system raise them. Don't let the private school system raise them. I just talked to a buddy the other day. There is a Christian school in my area that the the parents found out about after the fact that there was an openly gay teacher teaching in their school. And they didn't tell the parents. And they were paying God knows how much to have their three or four kids in that school, right? I don't want to give away exactly who it is, but they have a lot of kids in this school And they're paying an insane amount of money to send them to this school to protect them from some of the dangerous things in public school, right? And it's even happening there. Guys, don't let your church youth group raise your kids either. You be the parent. Certainly don't let Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube raise... And for some of you guys, don't let Joe Rogan raise your kid. Don't let Jocko Willink raise your kid. Look, the the becoming a warrior kid or whatever, those those things I'm sure are amazing for your children. Don't let that raise your kids. You do it. Because the thing is, is these, these conversations are so important and think about the types of people that are in your kid's life that are going to actually engage them on these types of subjects. 
You need to be the top person on that list. And the next thing here is shift the window yourself every chance you get. Shift it yourself. The thing about what is acceptable, I'll go back to a conversation I had with a good buddy of mine here in Oklahoma, and, and we disagree with everything. Every time we get together, it's three hours of, of whiskey and fun because we just disagree for three hours and we always leave you know, each other's friends or whatever. But every single time we talk, I shift the window a little bit. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes I kind of do it on accident, but I'm shifting the window of what is acceptable in his brain. Because I remember the first time that I told him that no, a woman should not be able to kill the baby inside her stomach if she's been raped. No, absolutely not. It's not the baby's fault. I thought he was going to lunge across the table at me and I thought he was going to stand up on the table after he smoked me and tell everyone what I said. But now if I were to say that, I've shifted the window. At least for him and I, in a micro sense, I've shifted the window as to what's acceptable. That's an idea in his brain now that, oh, wait a minute, you know, he's a, he at least needs to reckon with the idea that a kid is getting the death penalty because of something their father did. I just, I just threw that in a shoe. It's, I just put a rock in his shoe, right? That's what I did. So shift the window every chance you get. It doesn't have to be this big, long, drawn out, exciting thing. It could just be what it is. And, and guys, when you're done uh, kind of figuring out how to do that, teach others to shift the window. I mean, you should be talking with other people about what they're doing at their workplace or in their fraternities or at, at their police station or where the situation may be to shift this window. Maybe you're having people that are having a tremendous amount of success inside of their school district, you know, talking with the people that are running the school district in terms of shifting what is important and what they should be talking to their kids, kids about your first grade teacher, regardless of where your kids go to school, should not be asking your kids what gender they feel like that day. That, that is outside the realm. That is super radical. Like they should maybe ask them if they're happy. That's not really great either, but it's certainly better than trying to create gender confusion in a child, right? Kind of the next thing here, and this is kind of a bigger deal, but we won't spend much time on it, is have your representatives' backs. So your local representatives, maybe it's your sheriff, maybe it's your mayor, maybe it's your state senator, maybe maybe it's your you know a federal senator, right? Have their backs. Because again, this is a political discussion. This is a political topic, right? And if you are trying to embolden the people that you've elected to represent you in your area, or perhaps you didn't elect them, but you want them to represent you because you are in their area, perhaps let them know, Hey, if you go out and say that you're against this, I got your back. And not only that, my church has your back. All the dudes in my jujitsu school have your back. All the dudes at the police station got your back. All the people at the news station got your back. Everyone in the neighborhood associations got your back. Be that person. Because the reason why most of these politicians don't, you know, go out of their way to engage in all these difficult topics is because it's, they're political losers. That's why you haven't really had a single modern politician talk about entitlements. Entitlements have already crippled this country. If you think that entitlements have not made us go bankrupt yet, you just aren't paying attention. It's a matter of time before the bomb explodes, but the bomb is already going to explode. It can't unexplode itself at this point. It's going to happen. But there's not a single politician that wants to talk about that because they don't want to talk about taking, you know, prescription money away from grandma. They don't want to have to have that discussion about, yeah, I know you put into the you know, social security for 30 years, but we're going to have to tax that now, or we're going to have to change that now. They don't want to be that person, right? Because it's unacceptable. It's political suicide, but it wouldn't be political suicide if their constituents believed in that and voted for that, right? Does that make sense? And the last thing I guess here is make sure to learn to be tactful and truthful in your approach. So if you're going to be helping shift the Overton window for people, 
in a macro sense, micro sense, and in a dyadic sense, in a big group sense, whatever the situation may be, make sure you do it tactfully and truthfully. You guys have heard me talk about this book before, but it's a book Tactics by Gregory Kokel. Kokel's K-O-U-K-L, right? So I'll give you I'll give you a link to that book here in the show notes. But it's a must read. It's a must read for just about anybody, but especially for Christians, especially for Christians, because it gives you an idea of how to defend your faith. And not just how to defend your faith, but to keep other people from being able to just run roughshod over you with their illogical points of view. Because that's one of the things is you don't have to be super polite, right? You certainly don't have to be a douche, but you can be somewhere in the middle and be very, very tactful and stand up for the truth. But if you don't know how to do that naturally, you're going to have to learn how to do it. Most of us, most of you guys that know how to work on cars, you didn't just know how to work on a car when you were two. Someone had to show you your dad or your uncle or grandpa, or maybe you went to school for it or something like that, but you had to learn. So for some of you being tactful and truthful in these discussions and influencing people left or right is just easy. It comes natural to you. It's something to a certain degree that comes natural to me, but you do have to sharpen the sword, even if it does come natural, but for most of you, it doesn't come natural. So learn how to do it. But here's the thing, guys, is, you know, I just gave you a big, long list of eight or nine things or whatever in terms of what you should do in terms of, well, I'll go ahead and do a rundown of them again. Again, it's read your Bible, figure out why you're so afraid, stand up and speak out. Don't be default polite. Be the parent. Shift the window every chance you get. Teach others to shift the window. Have your representatives' backs. Learn to be tactful and truthful in your approach. Nine, okay? But there's something that you actually need to do before you even worry about doing any of those, right? Before any of that, discern if you actually believe any of this stuff. And I guess by this stuff, I mean the gospel. Because if you don't, then who cares? Why does any of this matter? If the gospel is not real, if it is not true, then we are just dancing to our DNA. Then we are just stardust bouncing into other stardust. We are just highly evolved monkeys that talk and wear pants. That's just who we are. But if you do believe in the truths of the gospel, it is your mandate to stand for it and stand up for it. It is your mandate to shift the window back to its anchor point, right? So if you don't believe in any of it, don't worry about it. But if you do, you better get on it. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So I've got a couple of links for you. The first is the Mackinac website. So that is Mackinac.org. So you can check out the Overton window part and the rest of their website. And then I also have a link to the book that I told you about. That is the tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions by Gregory Kokel. So you can check that out as well. Whatever, hit me up. Info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Uvirgin Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which shows off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>